Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today we're going to explore the story of a man named John Palmer of Union City who fiddled around at country dances and devised a method to save dancers' trouble after the ball. And his invention went on to revolutionize the railroad baggage industry. So come along and join me. This is a fascinating and forgotten story from the history books of Calhoun County. Today I am referring to an article written by historian Charles E. Barnes. Yes, this is a man you may have heard me mention before on other podcast episodes. He was quite a historian and writer, in his, especially in the latter days of his life. He spent the last several years of his life writing history stories for the local newspapers to chronicalize and tell the story of the early settlement years in Calhoun County, as well as a lot of other interesting stories from the 1800s. And he passed away in 1911. This article was published on December 4th, 1908, and it covers the fascinating invention of John Palmer. And it reads, An interesting story is that of the railway baggage check. It was conceived and worked out by a pioneer Michigan fiddler who did not realize the importance of his invention. A few quick-witted railway men from Marshall saw the utility of it, and through their suggestions, it was adopted in the railway service and came into general use. The man who is entitled to the unquestioned honor of its origination is John Palmer, who lived upon a farm between Union City and Burlington. He was born in England, and he came to this country in 1829 and moved to Union City in 1835. He was a good violinist or fiddler, as they were called in those days, and he was in great demand for country dances for miles around, where his viola enlivened many and many a winter night. He had musical ability above the average of country musicians. Generally, his fiddle furnished the only music for the dance. He did his own calling. The changes being frequently sung, these were no round dances in those days, all being quadrilles or contillions. There was never a more happy, joyous, genuine social event than the pioneer dance, when the sound of flute and fiddle gave signal in that sweet old ball of hands across and down the middle. One great annoyance that Palmer experienced was the constant trouble that the guests had in finding their coats, hats, and cloaks after the parties broke up. At time, articles being stolen. Occasionally, fights would result in a dispute over clothing. It was announced that there was to be a big dance given at the old Burlington house at Burlington on Thanksgiving night in the year 1850. And Palmer was to be in charge of the music. He knew that there would be a great crowd present and that there would be much trouble in claiming clothing after the dance, and he began to think out a plan to obviate it. He studied over the problem for several days. The morning of the dance, as he lay in bed, he saw before him, as if standing between him and the opposite side of the room, the figures 1-1, 2-2, 3-3, 4-4, 
These figures he could not get out of his sight. They persistently kept before his vision. He could not imagine what way they had in any reference to him. Then the thought came to him that they referred to his perplexity about the care of the clothing at the dance, and he saw the solution. The thought that came to Palmer that morning resulted in one of the greatest trouble and time-saving devices of his age. The first simple check. Palmer had four children, and like the dancers after the party, the kids frequently wrangled over their shoes and stockings when turning out for bed. That morning, Palmer cut eight cards out of pasteboard and numbered them. One, one, two, two, three, three, four, four as he saw in the vision. He took their shoes and stockings and tied each pair by themselves, putting tags one, two, three, and four on each lot and laid them away. When the children got up that morning, they could not find their shoes and stockings. He gave each one a check corresponding with the check upon their shoes and told them to go into the front room and pick out their very own comparing the numbers. Of course, it was a success. Now, for the final test on a larger scale, he cut out and numbered a series of checks to be given to the guests at the Burlington Ball. At that time, the division of the Michigan Central Railroad and its shops were located in Marshall. The railroad boys enjoyed a good social time and spent their money freely for pleasure. They took in the dance for 25 miles around Marshall. That night at the party in Burlington, the first to arrive were four railroad men from Marshall. On removing their overcoats and hats, they were given the checks. Three of the boys kept them and the fourth threw his away, casting it on the floor. When the dance was over, they called for their clothing with the other dancers. Palmer asked them for their checks. After hunting for some time, the three produced their numbers and at once received their apparel. They had to identify the overcoat of the fourth man before he could get it. So, at this point, the railroad boys were interested in the system. Shortly afterwards, another dance was given at the same hotel. This time, there came six railroad boys from Marshall, including the four that had attended the previous dance. They asked that their garments be checked as before. They watched the checking with great interest until the dance begun, and at its conclusion, hurried out and observed the orderly manner in which people secured the clothing by the system. They were deeply engrossed in their observations. The next day, they reported their discovery to the railroad officials and suggested the adoption in handling railway luggage this way. A trial was made of the plan between Marshall and Jackson and the return trip, and then from Marshall and Detroit in return. It was a success. This was the beginning of the railway check. So essentially, the railway check began to be adopted from what they witnessed at the dance that Mr. Palmer had set up for the people getting their coat check. And it's a fascinating um, little backstory. So there's a little bit more information about Palmer and his life. A man by the name of D.L. Merrill knew Palmer. The last seven years before his death, Palmer lived in Union City opposite the lumber yard run by D.L. Merrill, now a resident of Battle Creek who is the authority for this article. This is who Charles Barnes interviewed for the article. And Mr. Merrill became a friend of Palmer, the latter visiting his office almost daily. And from him, Mr. Merrill learned of the history of the invention of the baggage check. 
Mr. Merrill states that Palmer was a great reader and a very intelligent man. He had visited England three times and had traveled upon the continent. His travels and reading had made him an interesting talker. He was rather reticent and was intimate with only a few people. He always maintained his English ways, and his manner of dress would betray to strangers that he was foreign-born. He was a great worker upon the farm and was a successful farmer. He had great pluck. For several years, he suffered greatly from rheumatism, and the fall before the dance at Burlington, he had so fierce an attack when husking corn that he had to crawl from one stock to the other, but he would not give up. This showed his grit and determination. Palmer was very honest. At one time, when buying a bill of lumber from Mr. Merrill, he was given change. He put the money in his pocket without counting. Mr. Merrill spoke to Palmer about it. He replied, If a man makes a mistake with me in change against me, he may make a mistake in my favor the next time, and so that in the long run, it will even up. He also described Palmer as not being a church member, but an independent thinker. He had religious ideas of his own. He had been with the Indians a good deal, and on one occasion told Mr. Merrill that he believed that the Indians were nearer right in their conceptions of a future life than the churches. With the Indians, the future was one of happiness and not suffering. He looked forward to the time that he would go to the happy hunting ground with pleasure, for there would be no punishment in the afterlife. Palmer died in 1893, survived only by one daughter who passed away one year after his death. Palmer was married a second time. On one of his trips to England, he returned home with an English girl as his bride, to whom he had pledged the bulk of his property in consideration of her bliss and joy, no sorrow or trouble, and she became his wife. Mr. Merrill, realizing the great benefit that Palmer had conferred upon the public by his invention, made an effort during the World's Fair at Chicago to interest the railroad officials of this country in the perpetrating of his memory either by a monument over his grave in the cemetery at Burlington or by a bronze tablet in the depots in the principal cities where his luggage tag had originally been implemented. He wrote to the prominent railroad officials, and from each he received a courteous reply, but no action was ever taken. Such was the interest of Mr. Merrill in Palmer that he worked for two years to get him to have his photo taken, but Palmer seemed to have some objection to it, and he would never state the reason for it. Finally, Mr. Merrill accomplished his purpose and has the only photo of Palmer in existence. And it was actually used in this article that I'm reading from. And Mr. Merrill still retains his interest in the great work accomplished by his old country fiddler and hopes that the time may come when the National Association of Baggage Masters will take some action to do justice to Palmer and to make his name one to be perpetually remembered by railroad men. And that is the story of John Palmer as given by historian Charles E. Barnes in this fascinating article about this little window of history from Calhoun County. Now, if you think about the baggage claim tags that went into use from Palmer's invention and the coat check tags, if you've ever had to check a coat anywhere in the country at any event, and I've been to many events where that's a common practice, 
and you check your coat, you get those little tag and you put it in your pocket. Mr. Palmer invented that system. You know, it was adopted from his original plan, and it's just kind of an interesting thing. And also, if you've ever checked a bag at the airport these days or, or any kind of railroad travel, if you've ever done a, a railroad, they're still using some form of a baggage check system, maybe electronic these days in a lot of places um, with the barcodes and all that. But the original concept and the original system was invented by Mr. Palmer. So that's an interesting window into the past that happened right here with an Englishman who played the fiddle down in the Union City and Burlington area in the late 1800s. And it just goes to show you that sometimes it's the simple invention that really changes the world. Can you imagine the chaos it was back in the day when everybody had probably similar colored bags that were maybe brown or black or something? And they traveled and, you know, even name tags probably came into being after the luggage tag system, you know. Who knows? But it's very interesting that this uh, system to protect and, and, and keep order to bags and get it to the right owner and prevent baggage theft, that's the same system for getting the right coat to the right person and preventing coat theft that they had been experiencing at these large dances, came from a very simple invention. So that's kind of neat. So that wraps up that story today. Now, I wanted to tell you guys about um, some updates to my website at michaeldelaware.com. I've been working on making some revisions this year. I've added some new posts about what's been happening with me and some of the recent things I've got planned for the coming year. I also created a new advertise tab on my menu bar. And I'm reaching out to anybody in the audience that might be interested in advertising their business on this podcast and if they want to reach out to me just go to michaeldelaware.com and click on uh, the advertise tab and underneath you'll find an advertiser's application and then just tell me about your product service or business and we'll i'll determine if it's a good match for i think for the podcast and i'd love to work out any kind of arrangements with anybody to uh, do something that would be mutually beneficial for everybody and so if you're interested in that or you have somebody you think might benefit from that, be sure to pass that along to them because I'm interested in picking up some advertisers this year to defer some of the costs that I have in keeping this podcast going and uh, keeping it produced. And also on that same website, michaeldelaware.com, you can send me a contact form if you're interested in uh, just talking to me or suggesting something for the podcast or if you had a question about anything, I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And most of the time, I respond. reason I say most of the time now, instead of my usual response has always been I always respond to people, um, I received a, a very bizarre and threatening message uh, not too long ago prior to this recording. And it was apparently from somebody who was a very disturbed individual. And um, it was such a degree that I wanted to... Um, just make mention that I don't guarantee that I always will answer a response. The internet is a wide place um, and is a big place and not 99.90% of the people out there are decent folks, but there's always that real small fragment of people floating around out there that are uh, really need some individual help. And um, it's not help that I can provide. So, yeah. So, anyways, I will respond to most any decent message sent to me. How about that? <laughs> we'll leave it at that. And I won't venture into that subject any more further. But until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday 
and we explore yet another fascinating story about Southwest Michigan's history. Thank you for listening. Thank you.